such things you can't get in books. They're things you can't get anywhere. But we dream they can be found in other people. Welcome to Twin Peaks Rewatch for the 13th episode of Twin Peaks, known as The Orchid's Curse. I'm Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. Uh, also, as you discovered and were reminded, <laughs> known as episode 12 um, yes. on many measuring I started. Things. I started watching episode 13. Uh, I started watching the episode called episode 13, but which is in fact the 14th episode of Twin Peaks on Blu-ray. When I started watching this last night. Oh, no. Yeah. And so the whole first se- – I it, it opened and it was like – what are those scenes – I'm not going to spoil it for those who haven't seen the next episode. But it, it's like plausible that it could have started based – like – and just you have to fill in what happened. Right. No, but it's, as the scene goes on, I'm like, this is pretty – they're really skipping a lot of important yep. stuff. Shit. Um, oh, this episode was directed by Graham Clifford, who you may know as the director of Gleaming the Cube – that rings a bell what is that is that a cyber movie of some kind gleaming what is gleaming the cube gleaming the cube man i know i've heard that it's uh it's a skateboarding oh that's right it's skateboarding yeah okay yeah yeah starring christian slater Uh uh-huh okay from the director of the orchid's curse gleaming the cube um it was written by barry pullman who's written a ton of tv and it first aired october 27th of 1990 so one of the, I don't know if you had a similar reaction to the writing in this episode, but right from the start of this episode and in, in both the, uh, the initial shot, the initial scene of Cooper waking up and kind of giving his whole morning monologue to Diane, uh, and, and then going into like the, um, there's the Bobby and Shelley scene early on with the, uh, um, the chair, you know, the sort of harness salesman, yep. all that stuff. It right from there, from the beginning, this episode felt to me like the writer was really going for a kind of like witty repartee back and forth kind of punchy dialogue thing throughout. And there's, there's huh. scenes later in the episodes that are not that at all. Right. I mean, there's Donna's whole, uh, story that right. she tells Harold. But just sort of the rhythm of sort of back and forth banter was what yes. stuck out to you. Okay. Cause what stuck out to me about the, especially the first, those first couple scenes of Cooper in the hotel and the um, the like chair salesman stuff was that it felt like Twin Peaks pastiche to me. Oh sure, because, I mean I think that kind of writing almost like often has the, the sort of evokes the quality of pastiche anyway. But right? any because it's so it's so artifice. It's so like, like it's even just artifice. all of the specifics where it was like Cooper's wacky hair is back. Yeah, right. he uh, yeah, drops eating a yes. gumdrop, which is a callback to his specific yeah. brand of no, earplugs. Right. You know, like yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, no, know. you're totally right, especially about the Cooper scene. And then, and then, the, and then the, the wacky chair the, thing feels chair like thing we're like, like, oh, it's, li- it's, like it's like the, the Leland, Leland, yeah, yeah the mm-hmm. Leland thing, but then uh-huh. applied to a chair. Although I, right. I like that scene. Do you want to quickly do a summary? Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, actually, w- one other note. This is actually the first episode, finally, that I've watched uh, from the Blu-rays. I've been watching off Netflix because I didn't have a Blu-ray player hooked oh, up cool. at my house. Yeah, and I'm just so used to it now. I don't the even... clarity is actually incredibly yeah, noticeable. Like I don't, I don't. I don't sometimes notice that with HD stuff or even like when you sort of, when you stream something that is like well, in, indiscernibly, it is like 
kind of a shitty option because right. often you'll stream something that's in HD, but you're not actually getting a great bit rate. Yeah, and the the Twin Peaks stuff that's on Netflix looks to me like it's from the same or a similar transfer to the Blu-ray, but it's uh, it's in 420, so like the colors are there, and it's clearer than when I first watched the show. So I've been like, oh, this is way nicer than the last time I watched Twin Peaks. But um, man, the Blu-rays look nice. Oh yeah, they're beautiful. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. They just they like. I don't know. If you've been watching Twin Peaks and really enjoy it and have a Blu-ray player but don't have the Blu-rays, I would say that they're entirely worth getting. Although I then immediately fell into the trap of not knowing what episode I'm on because, yeah. <laughs> well, we are on the 13th episode of Twin Peaks It and Netflix numbers them in the order that we're using. Yes. Uh, the Blu-rays because use, Netflix uses an automated system yeah, that just the, numbers them in order. Yeah, the Blu-rays consider episode 13 in quotes episode 12 because right. the pilot is numbered yeah, yeah. and I, I, I totally – Yep. Forgot about it. So we both were awesome this week with that. Mm-hmm. So to uh, to just kind of quickly run down the major beats of this episode, uh, Donna crosses boundaries with Harold to try and get a hold of Laura's secret diary. Uh, Cooper and Truman infiltrate One-Eyed Jacks to mount a rescue operation on Audrey's behalf. And Leland and Leo have their hearings before Judge Sternwood and are both sent home. Thrilling conclusions to both <laughs> Leland and Leo's. Like last week was this like, like the storm is town. brewing. Like, judges yeah. in town. Uh, it's fine. You <laughs> seem fine, Leland. Oh, Leo, I'm sending you home I to mean, your do wife. Do you just talk about that now? Yeah, let's just because go. I thought that was really stupid. I'm not stupid, but I, I'm overstating it. I didn't think it was really stupid. I you hated it. I buy it in the context no. of this town, but it really struck me as playing to the like old country judge. Uh, you know, not a cynical guy. Just. Can't understand why some why big fat lawyer wants to throw everyone behind bars all the time. Just that big fat lawyer also seems like it's just his friend who also travels this circuit. I know. Like, yeah, I guess that's true. Except I think that especially by the time the uh, the second hearing comes around, I think the show definitely plays the uh, prosecuting attorney to be a kind of just like reckless. No, no, not reckless, but like, oh, this guy. He's like, he'd be in a Frank Capra movie. He would be the the guy that the protagonist is going up against. Right. Because he, you know, he's just pursuing like the, uh, you know, the the worst sentence at all costs. I and mean, the stakes in, in this, as you, as you sort of imply, the stakes in these hearings are so low that nothing I'm saying should be taken in an extreme way. I mean, it's not as though um, these are actually the like murder trials themselves but that's what made it more silly to me it's just yep. like what i don't know this guy just killed someone it's not that unreasonable to 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 not just like let right. him out immediately like i don't like what it's i don't know just send you home anyway leland his grandfather lived here fifth generation like okay what does that have to do with anything right. like how is that how is that your your testimony or whatever it is right. your statement is on his, he conf- he's confirmed having yeah. murdered Jacques Renault in his sleep in a hospital. Yeah. Just go home. Yeah. I, I don't know. That that I thought was a little like playing the kind of small town Americana like card a little too heavily. For I me. didn't like the results of either of them and I know that they they did this structurally surely just to keep the story going and to set up all new scenarios. But like man even with Leo where it's like he, there's not even a point. Well, actually, there's a huge number of points to having this yeah. trial. It's like that's brought up, and then the judge is like, oh, "I'm just going to send him home." Even after like a few episodes earlier, Cooper was like, "I think Shelley wants to take Leo home for insurance fraud." Right? Just I know. Like, why didn't Why didn't Cooper make a we statement? We have all these things coming coming to bear, and then they're just like, 
uh, you know, let's just put the status quo back. That seems yeah. fine. That seems like what we should be doing in this serialized TV show. Yeah. No, Sternwood brings his clearly decades of jurisprudence to bear to make these nuanced decisions. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to go back into Winnebago really. with my assistant. I'm going to go have a drink with you. Let's, let's, I'm going to form this decision in secret with the two representatives of the defense as we all have a drink and I say I'm going to let them all go. Like, <laughs> cool, Judge. Yeah. That's true. He doesn't even. He just goes and hangs out with with the yeah, with. Also, the best part of that because Truman speaks for for Leland, and then the judge just goes and hangs out with Truman over a drink, and, and says, and Cooper, and says, "We're we'll let him go." As the as the, as the DA is like, just like pours a like a drink, right? And the, and the DA just has to sit elsewhere, just right. just sort of stewing. Yeah, good. Um, also, by the way, but my favorite part about the scene where they they all go drink with the, whatever those wacky cocktails were called, like I didn't write it down. I should have written it down too. <clears throat> I know. <clears throat> oh, I meant to. Look the it best up. part is that uh, Cooper doesn't take a drink. He kind of considers it once and then gets interrupted. It. And I, I feel like when people look towards him, he kind of like wraps his hands around it to yep. maybe suggest like, oh, I'm going to take a drink any moment now. Uh, like he does the thing that that you do when you're in a situation where. Like, for whatever reason, you can't have it. And I don't know if that's, I guess Cooper just doesn't drink, maybe, but. Or he just didn't like the look of that particular drink. That was the other option that I Yeah, thought. although I get the sense that, to me, it read as part of his character as, like, I wouldn't drink while I'm sort of in a professional okay. circumstance here. Um, but he's sort of doing all the social cues for someone right, who is he's drinking. He's trying to act like he's – he's always isn't saying anything. Right. So he's just the sort of classic sort of nerdy guy at the end of the bar who's like there hanging out with the sort of good old boys but like – and wants to, you know, not give himself away but also isn't really saying anything and isn't actually drinking his drink. It was really funny to me. Yeah. It felt like he was finally actually <laughs> about to take a drink but then the judge was like, Cooper, what do you think about this? And he just puts it down <laughs> and like, I don't know. Um, yeah. That – so the thing that I was thinking about during this discussion was just my imagined fan version of this scene where also Albert just walks in on the entire <laughs> proceedings and that would be uh, – Oh, man. That would have been an amazing moment. Yes. Wow. Missed opportunity, I guess. Twin Peaks 2016. <laughs> man. So by the way, uh, let's actually talk about that a little bit. So it was announced via the Showtime Twitter feed a few days ago that Kyle McLaughlin is – uh, it's like officially confirmed. As, yeah, as Agent Dale Cooper in, with a, a photograph of McLaughlin in the suit. Holding um, a cup of coffee. Holding a cup of coffee, of course. Um, so as far as I'm aware, that's the only cast member that Showtime has sort of publicly and conclusively announced as returning. Yeah. Although I've seen it seems like, like Ray Wise has said he's back. Yeah, I think a, f a, a number of people have said like I've been talked to or whatever. But, and I, yeah. I this but like Sherilyn Fenn, who plays Audrey, I, there's no information on her as far as I can tell. Okay, yeah. It seems to me, and this is a goofy, but I guess appropriate comparison to make, it seems very similar to when they started talking about Star Wars Episode Seven yeah, and right. trade press and everyone just said, oh, obviously Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill are going to be back as Luke and Leia and Han Solo. And then there was just silence about that for months until finally mm -hmm. they sort of officially confirmed it. And I'm sure we're just going to start hearing yeah. a lot of the same names we've been hearing, but like... Mm -hmm. Even though it's just Kyle McLaughlin in a suit, which is how he has appeared in a million other TV appearances in the last decade, it was still exciting to see that picture under the specific also, like, framing he, he of it looks, is Cooper. Also, unsurprisingly, because he is one, he looks like a real human, unlike how he looks in the aged makeup 25 years later scenes <laughs> in the original Twin Peaks series. He looks like a weird mask of his face. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man, a weird dust mask. <clears throat> Why? Some, man, it's amazing to me how 
poorly age makeup is done sometimes. And I just think it looks bad in Twin Peaks because you look at something like Citizen Kane, which that, you know, that movie is, is what, 60 years old or so? I, I, it is I'm, old. Yes. I'm betraying my ignorance by not remembering what year that movie came out. But uh, the all the age makeup done on Orson Welles to portray him from age like 24 to age 60 something or whatever is amazing. It's incredible. It just shits all over a lot of much more recent age makeup you see, especially on television, which tends to be a little less convincing than what you, than what you see in a film. Yep. That'd be less true probably in modern kind of high-budget television. But it's it's weird to me that that as a craft, like that there would be a problem with that. It seems like a solved problem. Yep. It's strange. It it is not apparently. Yeah. Although now they've solved it by just waiting twenty five years. That's true. That's true. That's exactly correct. So yeah, maybe they'll reshoot those scenes and uh, do a new four K release of Twin oh, Peaks. Oh man, that has Sa- a gross actually, old actual yeah, old no, Calvin Glockman. Actually, Sarah made a hilarious uh, like suggestion, which would be that in the new series, Kyle McLaughlin currently would be recreated using that shitty age makeup for the scenes when he's in <laughs> when he's in the red room when he's in the red room so in fact that that is not meant to suggest that is literally how <laughs> so Dale Cooper just, looks 25 years it's later. just it's crinkly just dream when cooper he's in that dimension or whatever okay good that is that is what he looks like and i really like that idea <laughs> that's what i want yeah oh man i hope that's what they do now <laughs> I had a dream that I was old, but differently old and weird. <laughs> it's like how I looked when I was old 25 years ago. No, it's just what he old. as a young man thought he would look like when he was old. Because he doesn't know. Okay, right. But yeah, but now, I mean, if, if in, in Twin Peaks 2016, yeah. he has a dream and he's now, yeah, he's, yeah. I had a dream that I was old, but old the way that I thought I would look when I was right. in my 20s. And that's also a total David Lynch thing. <laughs> sure. Except he maybe wouldn't say that that literally. But no. I feel like that that is a totally acceptable <laughs> David Lynchian move. <laughs> <clears throat> weird anyway you want to get back to this this episode <laughs> yeah i mean i guess if we want to keep talking about the lilo and and leo stuff i guess the only other oh, scene sure. no, that's that's notable and that is the chair scene yes um and that actually so in addition to the kind of um well i so i'm, I'm rethinking what i said about the the snappy back and forth dialogue thing in the context of what you said about uh twin peaks pastiche but I, the combination of that stuff with Cooper and and then some of the back and forth stuff and then also the um, the back and forth stuff with the salesman and Shelly and Leo and then also the salesman swinging back and forth on the wall uh, remi- just reminded me of kind of a almost a screwball romantic comedy from I don't know the 30s or something mm-hmm. just the it, well like it's just. Traveling like salesman guy elements. who's here yeah, and then like it starts going crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You know, everything the salesman says is like as though he's just got a flop sweat breaking right. out. And Also, it, that guy is a uh, – it was more notable at the time, but it's a celebrity cameo because <laughs> that's David Lander who played Squiggy on – is it Laverne and Shirley? Yeah. Oh, he was like a just crazy. notable okay. character from a long-running right, okay. a long-running sitcom. Got it. Uh, who I guess is friends with David Lynch and that's why he's there. But like that also to me adds to that sort of – Oh, and then retro novelty okay, thing. I'm well, just spe- like, okay. So speaking of retro novelty thing, the other thing is like <laughs> when he's when he's talking about this machine and it's like first malfunctioning, not yet when it's broken out into madness, but when he's just trying to demonstrate it initially, he's kind of muttering to himself and he's like, sometimes you got to hit it hard. A machine is like a woman. That's what they say at the shop. Like <laughs> what? Right. 
you got to hit it hard like a woman. Like it's, I mean, it's just such an outrageous line that that you know. But yeah, that whole thing, that whole thing does feel it like it came from another like, era. Yeah, yeah. Which I guess is what David Lynch loves in general. But this whole this episode and last episode, actually on the Twin Peaks rewatch forums, people have been talking about this. This we're in the heart right now. I think of Twin Peaks as TV series more than like Twin Peaks as sort of stylistic yes, mini def- movie mini series where it's Absolutely. like even the people who are writing and directing these episodes are like old hand have run or written for dozens of TV shows or like at least like a half dozen TV shows like it's just and the way that the the threads are are pulling out where they're where Laura Palmer is relegated to like one and a half threads an episode all the time it's mm-hmm. just it it's but it's interesting because it also still feels like it's people who are like old hand TV people or incredibly like just busy TV people. But Twin Peaks probably was like the hot gig to land at this point when you were when people were writing and creating crews for this episode. But before the ratings fell off, I imagine that if you're like a guy who's worked on, you know, six other just 80s sitcoms like Twin Peaks is probably one of the higher echelon shows that totally. you have an opportunity to write mm-hmm. for. Maybe that's yeah. not true, but no, I'm you know, sure it, it is. It I mean, feels, I was, it feels I was, like people stretching their legs all the time. On yeah. This yeah, show, yeah. Even no, I was on, um, the, I, I just ended up through sort of clicking around on Wikipedia and stuff. I ended up on the, the Twitter account of Leslie Linkeglader, who's, um, you know, a director who's directed several episodes of, of this show. And we've, we've mentioned her, a few oh, times. including next, next week's episode. Okay, right. Oh, that's why. Okay. That's why, because I was confused about the episode, what episode I was watching. And I looked up, the episode I was accidentally watching right. and saw that it was directed by her. Um, anyway, that's why I ended up there. But in her, you know, in her bio, in her sort of Twitter biography, she just lists a bunch of shows that she's directed for, and it's a crazy list. I mean, it has it, up to current sort of prestige shows like Homeland and stuff. Right. It just has, but I, I'm sure she's directed like ten times as many shows as are listed there. But like, you know, Twin Peaks is one of the sort of top six that she right. lists. It's managed it's, to to stay atop after all of her other writing and directing jobs have sifted away. Yeah. Being, I think being a television director is probably a lot closer to being a sort of, uh, what we traditionally think of as a craftsperson than being a film director, which has all these kind of auteur connotations behind it. Uh, but I think if you say you worked on a show like twin peaks, that has a sort of punch that someone who doesn't necessarily pay attention to TV direction Right. Immediately thinks like, oh, crazy. That's like a crazy show that's like weird yep. and interesting, <clears throat> even if it's not their personal favorite. Uh, although it is it is one of ours. Um, so anyway, we you want to talk about the whole Audrey rescue thread? Yeah, I mean, I think there's the the two biggest threads in this episode are the Audrey rescue and then Donna and Maddie trying to steal the uh, trying to steal Laura's secret diary from Harold. Yeah. And the thing before we even get into the two specific threads. I liked, and this is the thing that the forums pointed out to me even before I watched the episode, but there's so much just parallel storytelling between those, not just in the cross-cutting, but like, there's basically just two heist storylines that take place in this episode that that spin in between themselves. Like, it even goes as far as um, Maddie and Donna have the blueprint that they've drawn of Harold's house, including like where the secret uh, notebook is and their infiltration plan, and then it cuts, it doesn't cut, but like one or two scenes later... Cooper uh, and Truman have a blueprint that they've drawn of one-eyed jacks, right. including their infiltration <laughs> plan. So, yeah. like, it's it's kind of um, I don't know. I mean, there's no like value judgments placed within the episode, but I like that the that the sort of junior investigation team 
are mounting their own thing that almost exactly parallels what Cooper's doing, except that they're actually still going after Laura Palmer's murder, whereas Cooper and those guys are off just like... I mean, they're rescuing Audrey, which is super important and a terrible, horrible thing, but they're absolutely not doing their job while these right. kids are doing the exact same thing, the things that they're doing. And they're doing something totally inappropriate, but it's in, in service mm-hmm. of... No, it's true. In yeah. service of finding Laura. Well, they're sort of like lightly keeping the general threat alive, but I mean, yeah. the, the, pretty much nothing else in in this episode of this show really has anything to do with Laura's murder because right. the I mean the I guess Leo kind of is related right and Audrey to that Audrey and like, is at one eye jacks to find information about Laura but she found basically one new fact which was that Laura was fired from that job and then has just right. been trapped there for weeks. Yeah 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 um, that, that is that, what I what I guess I mean is all of these threads are ultimately connected to right, Laura Palmer. Only, but only one of them involves Laura's name or anything about yeah, her. They've they've yeah. all become their own things where their own whole plot has completely yep. superseded their original connection to the Palmer mystery. Uh, yeah. Oh, also just to that point, it was really relieving that action was finally taken on getting that diary and on getting Audrey back I know, right? after weeks of just yeah. like uh-huh. hovering. Anyway, yeah. sorry, let's just get into what's going on. Oh, sure. This is a long thing. Oh, also the speaking of the, to go back to that Cooper scene, the original Cooper scene, which is what kicks off the Audrey plot thread in this episode uh in in just in line of what you're talking about with twin peaks pastiche the line where cooper said does a headstand and then says diane i am now upside down really feels like the writer of this episode was try was like was conscious of what i assume we're already yeah we're already kind of fan catchphrases with things like the chocolate bunnies line and really just wanted to insert their get their own yeah. one of those in there. And I, I I think history has shown it is not quite as successful as that previous one. But when I was watching it, it definitely struck me. Yep. I liked Gunshot Wound Cooper doing a, a headstand, though. That was good. Although yeah. it was only there to make him see the note. He treats pain with yogic discipline. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hilarious phrase. <clears throat> that kind of thing makes me... A phrase like yogic discipline makes me conscious of how different it must be to write something in the age of the internet versus writing something pre a ubiquitous worldwide web because that uh, yogic discipline or like the the sort of word fragments that would lead you to be able to just conjure that phrase in the writing of a television episode that has nothing to do with yoga or exercise really would mean you just have to be exposed to that to the point where it's part of just the synapses that fire in your brain. Whereas now I could very easily imagine kind of wanting to write that scene, Googling a bunch of stuff, following going, a ton of threads, <laughs> yogic <and> then, discipline. <laughs> finding yogic as like an adjective form of yoga right? Uh, and then landing on that. But the, the sort of, I, I imagine that the way your sort of synapses fire 25 years ago writing stuff like this versus now and the way that connects to the actual direct action you take before a word ends up on the page must be very different. And I'm just not old enough to, to, you know, I was a kid at the time. just not old enough to really have been in a position to directly compare them, but I bet they were different. I bet that was a different thing. I don't have anything else to say about that. (laughs) Good. Uh, what else do we have? I, I, I don't know. So, one of the things that struck me about the act, the start of this thread at physically at One Eye Jacks itself is that Jean Reno is like just the most brutal. He's one of the 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 most uh, 
amoral, brutal characters I think we've encountered so far because he's his plan is basically to kill everybody. Yes. Like, it's to kill absolutely everybody. Like, Jean and Blackie are plot to kill Cooper and clearly already just – it's a given at this point that they're going to kill Audrey. Right. And but then, then he's also in the midst of a double cross to kill Blackie. Yeah, with Blackie's sister. Yep. And then when uh, Cooper and, and Truman arrive, uh, Jean kills Blackie, tries to kill Truman um, – and then he ambushes Hank, sees the ID that Hank stole from the DA, assumes Hank is the DA, probably intends to kill him too. Right. This, I mean, this guy is just a machine. Yep. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. He's apparently more competent, uh, a villain yeah, he's than the, his brothers. He's the competent Renault. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're all, they're all pretty shitty, but, but it takes different forms. Yep. Um, do you have any do you have any other observations about this whole thread? About this whole thread? Yeah. Um man, I had Truman punches a guy in the nads. That was that was a funny moment. That's true. Truman definitely does that. Oh, after seeing an owl. He sees he sort of portentously sees an owl and then Oh yeah, that scene when Cooper takes the doorman out in general was outrageous. Yeah. That was the most efficient thing in the world. Because they I thought both of them see that owl in the woods, but then but then Truman like Punches the guy, stuffs a rubber ball in his mouth, tapes it shut, throws him through the doors, <laughs> and then right. back onto the ground. It's just yeah. like, just like yep. the most ultimate one, two, three, four, five takedown. Mm-hmm. Like the most efficient, like slams that rubber ball all the way into his mouth and yeah. tapes it shut. It's like, what is, what are you, <laughs> this is way more than you, like, yeah, I know. Truman, this <laughs> yeah. is more. This was not taught in police training. Was that Truman or Cooper? That was Truman. Oh, it was Truman. You're right. Because Cooper's just sit- sitting in the in the woods. Like, yeah, in yeah, the no, bushes no, no, behind totally right. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah, where does where does he get those skills? I don't know. He's, he got them from the same school that taught Hank how to do sweet kicks <laughs> last episode from '90s That's TV fight school. Yeah. Um. Um. I liked the the. I mean, I don't have a whole lot to say about it, but I liked the scene when Cooper was got to Audrey finally and then he sees uh Blackie's sister pull the knife and mm, oh and just yeah and just does the director of this episode clearly really enjoyed depicting these guys as total badasses. Yep. It fit with Cooper a little bit. I mean like him being able yeah, to just being hyper aware. Being hyper aware. Um but yeah that that whole scene was Oh, one notable thing is the wallpaper in there is just disgusting, which I probably mentioned in previous episodes. <laughs> what I, I can't remember what it looks it's like. It's just like the most gaudy, extreme. Oh, that's right. Extraordinarily yeah. yep. hyper disgusting pattern in the world. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, that that whole thing ends with with Hawk going. Didn't think I'd just leave you to I know, yourselves, yep, right. or whatever he says. Um, <laughs> yep. Yeah, I feel like the the director of this episode is really into this being a, like this whole thing being kind of an A team yeah. moment where like all kinds of awesome action things are happening. Guy shows up to save the day. It was it's a very 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 eighties early nineties television yep. action oh, mentality. This episode also brings back the Twin Peaks uh, tradition of secret compartments being all over the goddamn place because. Um, Harold's got Laura's diary inside the little uh, the little case mm-hmm. in his room, mm-hmm. but then also the most amazing <laughs> secret uh, secret passage scene that I think has existed in the show so far is when Ben Horn is meeting with Cooper, but Hank just like pops, pops out of that out of door and yeah. he's like Agent Cooper's on his way, and then Ben just puts him back in the room. <laughs> they have the whole conversation about how the handoff's yeah. going to work and all this stuff. Um, or he, oh, it's because uh, Cooper wanted to be there for the call with the kidnappers. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and then you know he says i'll be sending my representative hangs up the phone or the, the guy hangs up on ben horn um <laughs> but then, and then he he totally lebowski's cooper and says her life's in your hands um and then he tells hank he's like follow cooper what is it god what is it he says oh he says cooper isn't coming back bring back audrey and the briefcase and then he just closes hank back into the room i know <laughs> and then has the and then has the the meeting with uh, with tajimura with, with tajimura yeah but like what i guess hank has another way out of that door but it just felt like he was yeah. just like <laughs> well he must like be like well he must be because he was walking through the hallway presumably it's, straight it's into a, that it's just room. a back entrance to ben yeah, yeah, office. Yeah, but I the know, way that it was pretty... played it felt like it was just some weird another just like well also uh not vaudevillian, but of that, just like a guy, just like who can come out of a hatch. But I don't know. It was, it was, yeah. it was completely weird that he. So also, I mean, I guess you want to just move on to that general whole scene in the Great Northern. Yeah, it sort of stands alone, I suppose, in this episode. Yeah. So uh, one thing um, about the the part you just mentioned when he says, uh, "Bring back Audrey and the brief- if you can manage it, bring back Audrey and the briefcase." It almost sounds like he's saying, "Which either one is one the of priority?" <laughs> Try for both, but either yeah. one and one but, is you fine. Know, at least one, please. Uh, and then the other, the other observation about that is when when Cooper is walking in to meet with Ben Horn, he is like chuckling to himself and blowing what. Oh, like it's a, a duck, duck call. call that but it seems like he's modified. He's either. Oh, is he modified? Or I, I, I assume he it. either yeah. modified his his previous whistle to now yeah. be a duck call, or he's now whittled a thing, right. which is another callback to yeah, and he's to totally weird sea threads and in jokes. Yeah, but yeah, he was really stoked about that duck call. I enjoyed that a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then you know Tajimura is there making an offer. Cool. <laughs> that happens. <laughs> Uh, all right. Um, I thought that scene was played well, even though I'm tired of that thread. Whatever. I mean, I didn't really understand why Horn was so dismissive. Doesn't he need a buyer? I thought that he still ha- does. He not have one. I thought that maybe he doesn't anymore. Maybe he just thought that this strange person coming into his office was totally full of shit until they passed a check across yeah, the desk. Probably, but I don't know. So yeah. Yeah, I just I just true. like when Ben Horn is at his most uh, like cigar chomping, sort of like well, I don't know, like just being like trying to slide yeah. <laughs> out of every conversation. Yeah, and that scene seemed like it existed mostly mm-hmm. to just give us that for a little while. But mm-hmm. yeah, he's good at playing hard to get and aloof. Yeah, it's it's I enjoy watching it always. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to talk about the whole diary thread? Yeah, the whole diary thread. Mm-hmm. Um, this, I mean, this was the the sort of standout thread of this episode to me by i think so by too. a, by a yeah. lot yep, um, I agree. I agree. which is why we saved it for the end accidentally um it's not quite the end. i mean there's a couple more things to talk about after this okay because yeah. i mean this is sort of as of right now it's sort of the pinnacle of all teen shenanigans mm-hmm. in the in the show so far oh, sort of yeah. sort of come to a head in this scene, obviously, I mean, I don't, I actually don't exactly remember what happens next week, but this scene ending with a guy just staring Maddie and Donna down while scraping his own face with a trowel and screaming at them. Yeah, it's like, okay, they've gotten to a new place yep, uh, yep. in their, in their story arc. But, um, uh, I don't actually even remember where this, where this stuff starts. Does this start? Oh, it starts with just, um, Donna going to Harold's house, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she goes over to Harold's house. It Harold's starts with house. him spying on her through the blinds as she walks in. Right, and then and then she begins to tell her story. And the funny thing about that to me was that I, you know, we talked last episode about how Harold has this whole thing about assembling a sort of 
novel of a living novel. living novel of all these people. Um, but like part of it is like Laura's diary, which is a day to day account, right? Like that a diary isn't like your life story. It's a, it's like a deep dive into individual days from a specific period of your life. It feels like and Laura then, must have told him stuff, but then also just given him the diary. Pro- yeah, you're probably right. I was just, it was just odd to me. Not odd. It was, I was surprised, I guess, when Donna sits down and the first thing she says is like, I was born in New Jersey or whatever it was. I don't know. Whatever, yeah. Yep. Whatever it was she said. I can't remember where she was born, but, uh, oh, she was born in Twin Peaks. Oh, okay. Her right. father delivered her. Okay. Oh, that's right. You're right. Um, and, uh, not New Jersey, but that, right. But then she, like that kind of falls off immediately as she like instantly. I thought asked it was an about, important start though, because she's like the, her initial framing of any story she's going to tell is I was born in this town and implicitly have never left it. Yeah, that's true. That's, that's, that's totally fair. But the thing I liked about it was that she almost immediately veers off the road and asks him about himself, which makes him inc- incredibly uncomfortable. Like he sort of starts to answer, oh, but he's obviously not comfortable. When he says, I grew up in Boston, I actually, I grew up in books. Yeah, maybe that's what I was confusing. They both grew up. Maybe I was confusing. She East says Coast Twin Peaks thing. and he says Boston. Yeah, you're right. I, and then yeah. that this exchange right here, I think, is actually Dana's favorite lines of dialogue in the entire show, which made me notice it a lot. But which, which are which? Which is when she Donna says there are things you can't get in books, and then Harold says there are things you can't get anywhere, but we dream they can be found in other people. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good quote. Yeah, that is that is really good. That's funny. It's funny you say that's Dana's um, favorite exchange because uh, Sarah's apparently like favorite scene in the whole series basically is also part of this thread when Donna uh, relates her like the thing that happens like right after this. Yes. Yes. The whole whole encounter that she has with uh, with Laura in the woods with those boys. Yeah. And her kind of like combination of nervousness and like sort of romantic excitement and delivery or or, like a discovery in the in the pool or the lake i mean it's really good this whole i mean this whole scene donna's first visit to harold is kind of is probably the most potent scene in this episode and probably in like this whole thread of donna and harold it's Mm -hmm, definitely good yep yeah there's a level of kind of uh i guess emotional straightforwardness that is for so at this point in the show we're so buried in these like wacky subplots of like heists and like plans and um, just kind of weird character thing. Like this is, you know, another episode where we we get a, a Nadine update, and it's literally we see her for like twenty seconds. She just rips the refrigerator like, door off and goes, <laughs> door off and go, oh, I'm still in high school." And that's the that's it. Right. Like that's her entire right. thing. And so I I seen like the ones we see with uh, with Donna and Harold that are just so raw and so yep. uh, honest and open is really, it's nice to have those moments. They're just, the they're the so three dimensional and sort of yeah. it, this, a lot of the stuff in this episode, sort of the complexity of her relationship with Harold, where she wants the diary, but also is totally like legitimately involved in all of this stuff. It also mm-hmm. seeing these scenes now kind of, back justifies some of the goofier stuff in the last few episodes not singing the song and james and maddie locking eyes and all that stuff but just like donna's journey over this part of season two has actually been okay sure been, been yes. really good I, I i see what you're saying i agree i agree with that yeah um it's kind of the most solid thread maybe that isn't like just finding clues and busting down doors which is what cooper seems to be uh doing at this point right yeah 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 uh, so there's, I mean, the other main thing that happens in this thread is that, uh, they actually try and pull off this, this heist, which 
you know, when Harold sees it, he's obviously just like devastated given. Well, Donna's kind of had this thing where she's trying to tease out what the deal is with Harold throughout this episode, too, because she tells this story to him. But then she also she takes the journal and kind of plays cutesy with it. and It's like, let's read it outside and pulls him Uh outside. And that's totally like actually collapsed, totally traumatizing. And she's like, oh, man, there's like because the way that Harold acts, it always he always feels like there's a little bit of a twinkle in his eye. Like he's always like maybe he's playing you or uh-huh, sort of playing yeah. with you a little uh-huh, bit. And I feel totally. like Donna thought that she was like pulling on that thread by taking the journal outside. But actually that was like the rawest nerve she could ever touch with that guy. So that, that made her plan later to feel way, way worse to me. Where it's oh, like, yeah, for sure. Just like, you now just a hundred percent know that you're taking advantage of this guy, mm-hmm. even though you are transfixed by him. And like, right. Absolutely. Oh man. It's, it's a bummer. If that, if that scene where she pulls the, the, where she pulls him outside and he has a collapse, wasn't in this, in the show. I think that it would feel more like like she had a little bit of emotional, like moral space to try and take advantage of, the, of this guy because he's been holding stuff back and playing cheeky. Right. But well, when she, she just I, crushes him in the middle yeah. of the episode, it's like, oh well, man, you're she, just you're just being bad. Yeah, I think the the thing where she baits him outside with the uh, the um, diary, I think, is like serves two purposes for her. One of which is to try and figure out what, as you say, like figure out what his deal is and what's going on and like what are you know, how much, it, how much, if any of this, is he putting on and so on. But part of it, I think, is also genuinely hoping that, that she, she can will, tease something out of him, will, right? Well, well yeah, that, but also I think part of it is hoping that he will sort of reciprocate in a like romantically playful way because she's, she's, I mean, right. part of it is like trying to tease that information, but part of it is also she's trying to do the thing that you do oh, I meant, like, when you're sort of flirting with yeah, someone. Yeah, I didn't mean just, tease information out of him. I meant actually like, like, Emotionally and romantically. Okay, right. Yeah, like yeah, sort yeah, of, yeah, yeah. Like uh-huh. she was kind of coaxing him outside to do this thing with her in hopes that he would also just play along and reciprocate and, right. and yeah, it would yeah, work. Yeah. But it was like the, the worst move she could make. Right. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. She basically betrays his trust twice. Like, yeah. Twice. Once kind of inadvertently, but then like, well, but then very tell me about this orchid. Make out with me. Yeah. I'm going to flash a flashlight. Yeah. And we're going to rob you. And I yeah. know now uh-huh. from my mistake that you can't come after me. Like, it's just yeah. pretty, it's pretty nasty. Mm-hmm. Um, and like it's, I don't think it's a one to one move that Laura would make, but but it does feel very thematically similar to like Donna sort of inadvertently doing what Laura may have done more yeah, maliciously, sort of or understanding like, having this like intuitive understanding of people and how to right. penetrate them. Yeah, which yeah. which things are deliberate versus subconscious with Donna and Laura are probably right. different, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Th- this sort of. Well, Laura, I mean, I think Donna is trying to like deliberately assume this mantle because she's trying to achieve something. Whereas with Laura, it was more intuitive yep. and, you know, under the surface. But that whole thing was a bummer when like, it feels like Donna getting intimate with Harold was her basically cashing out all of the genuine emotional chips that she had for him to get this journal like all like tell me about this orchid like talking about their lives sharing a kiss Mm -hmm. is all stuff that potentially could have actually happened legitimately and it seemed like donna actually had some interest but like just basically just the the back of the truck just dumped all of it out at once so that she could then flash that flashlight and then it didn't really work anyway i mean i guess they have the journal but like right right they got out. They, I, I guess, we don't know how, how whether or not they end up taking the journal or not this week. But like, right? 
it was all for naught, really, though. I mean, she could have just as easily said, you know, F you to Harold, locked him in his stupid orchid room, taken the journal, and run out of the house. She didn't need to. Right. Yeah, 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 it's true. She didn't need to be deceitful yep. about it. Yep. Because at the end of the day. It all came out anyway. He, he screamed at them and yeah. ran a garden trowel down his face. Yep. Or whatever the thing is. Mm-hmm. I forget the name of that tool. I can't remember what it's called, yeah. That three-pronged thing, you use thing to, to, to like break the break soil. Break up dirt clods yeah, yeah, yeah. that, that scared you as a kid when you were gardening with your parents. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, oh, I mean, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on the on on his kind of final line of the episode, zinger of the episode, which is, are you looking for secrets? Is that what all this is about? Do you know what the ultimate secret is? Laura did. The secret of knowing who killed you. And he cuts himself. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't really know what to say about that. It felt a little hokey to me. Yeah. I liked the intensity of that scene. I really liked the image yeah, yeah, of him yeah. just clawing his uh-huh. face. Totally. But him just screaming, Laura knew who her killer was, to yeah. cut to black. Like, oh, right. okay, yeah, it's yeah. fine. Mm-hmm. Like, we all assume that she knew that, I think. Yeah, I yeah. mean, yeah. Mm? yeah. given that we've been exposed for a season and a half or whatever to her diary, heavily implying that she knows that a horrible thing mm-hmm. is going to happen to her and she is using code names for all these people, like, it didn't... It felt like a, a reach at a cliffhanger that they they couldn't yeah, I pull. Um, so I think the only thing left we haven't talked about in this episode, and this certainly makes for a ridiculous final uh, discussion, is Lucy and Andy's Good. latest Let's just close it out on the key arc of yeah. Twin Peaks. Which opens with Andy covered with post-it notes. I feel like that's a reference to Andy covered in Scotch in Tape. In Scotch Tape, yeah. This director can't stop. He just can't get enough of it. Or writer, one of the two. Yeah, I, yeah that's true. Could be, could be either. Probably, probably the writer in most cases. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, this episode is like Twin Peaks' greatest hits. The sequel. Oh man, this is the most goofy example of that. And I got to oh, let me see if I can find where it is. Um, there's a stoplight shot in this. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the tradition of it being a sequel and everything being a callback, that's pumped up. It's a shot of like six stoplights changing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember that. Oh man, I actually really liked that shot. As far as like Twin Peaks, uh, yeah, moody establishing shots, it was really good. Although I could not help but think, um, were Twin Peaks a show that was on in the era of like a TV show like Dexter, and they were on like season five, the key art marketing image that would like cover Comic Con <laughs> would be five stoplights <laughs> right. turning red. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In totally. the way that you sort of like. Scramble as much as you can for any iconic image, then just make that a really right. like mm-hmm, totally. high production value uh, marketing image. But that, yeah, this episode, one stoplight is not enough. There, <laughs> there, there must be five. Yep. Um, I mean, and it, and it, I feel like in an era, again, just to speak the difference between the internet era and the pre-internet era, that kind of thing is so much less powerful when you don't have twitter and tumblr and facebook yeah to like promote a show with that was in that in this case that was just a writer and or director just kind of tipping their hat or trying to sign the episode a little bit probably but now it would be totally like exploited in an outrageous way by the network i suspect Oh, it was um, this, it was Andy gets that call and says, "Oh my god!" And then it cuts to a bunch of stoplights changing. Then it immediately cuts to the sizzling neon sign outside of the double R, and that's kicking off Maddie meeting James in the diner right before they go and do the nefarious stuff with Harold. So, yeah. like, I think, um, but yeah, they couldn't resist the back to back of a million stoplights and then a sizzling neon <laughs> sign. Yeah. Gotta just get it all. Um, Anyway, the, the Andy. Only, the only other thing I have, I don't really have very much to say about this in this episode, honestly, because it's just a continuation, really. But uh, 
so, well, I like when Andy accidentally does some detective work and finds out that Lucy is, is, is at an abortion clinic and not her sister's house. Uh, but I mainly like when he gets good news about his sperm count and as he does just gets sort of looped into one phrase that he keeps repeating in front of Truman, which just seems to happen to him. This is like the third time I think this has happened where Truman pops in. He's like, what's going on? And he's I'm a whole damn town. I'm a whole damn town. I'm a whole damn town. And then, and Truman doesn't even say anything. He doesn't even right. say, he just leaves. He just kind of looks at him and just walks oh, away. Man. Yeah, that and is I totally really the like, style of Andy saying, you know who's here? Or whatever. You know who it is? You know who it is? What is when Albert shows up? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. If they do it again, it'll be it'll be maybe too many times or maybe just the right amount of times. But uh, <laughs> Wait a few episodes, please. <laughs> Next I mean, episode, Andy will say only but... one phrase the entire episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, do you want to do reader mail this episode or what? This oh, seems sure. like it's gone a little long, but let's see what we've got. Yeah, I can do a reader mail. I mean, listener mail. This is Twin Peaks Rewatch. I'm sorry. You're right. Where people listen to this podcast and watch television shows. Do you Do you have any spo- – are you going to have any spoiler stuff? Uh, I think I have a tiny bit of spoiler stuff. Okay. I'm trying to think about it. Um, oh, I do. But it, yes, I have a tiny thing. Sure. Um, so Richard Woodward writes in with an email about the one-armed man. He says, this isn't about this episode specifically. It was a good one, but just thing I've noticed over the course of the series, it cracks me up how they always refer to Mike as the one-armed man and not Mike, uh, or Mr. Whatever, even outside the context of weird dreams and visions. I'm wondering if it's deliberately humorous. And my first thought is no. Did it stand out to you guys? Did you find it funny at all? It might be my weird sense of humor, but in real life, it would be considered blunt and kind of rude, right? I've always wondered if it's just uh, – if they constantly are doing it because it's their, like, it's their cheeky reference to the to fugitive. The, to the fugitive? Yeah. yeah. I, I don't, I don't like, like it personally. I think it's pretty obnoxious. I think it's weird that Cooper of all people, this like consummate professional, wouldn't refer to this person by either the by name Mike he or, knows or he is Gerard. through his dream yeah. or by the name – that the man actually refers to himself. Yeah, I think I think it is. Um, I, yeah, I've, it's very. It's, it strikes me as a little bit odd and demeaning for no particular reason, honestly, because it's not as though he. I mean, he has a very distinctive face. We remember his name because it, at least we remember Mike all because it comes up right. all the time. And if they use his name, his his actual sort of Earth name, often we'd remember that too. Um, so I don't, I don't, I don't like that that choice in the show. It, I, I find it a little bizarre. Yeah, it's a little strange. Um, Andy Yinkst writes in defense of Jake's dad. Oh, I'm sorry. This is a, this is for spoilers. I'll put that in the spoiler section. <laughs> Spo- sorry, spoilers. Everyone, in defense of my dad. Yeah. I meant to pull some stuff from the forum, but there was some really good discussion on the forum thread this episode, and I oh man, I'm I sorry. Totally this is, this is a really good email. Okay, Elizabeth Green writes in uh, with uh, <laughs> with an email where she says, "I almost peed my pants when I saw this pop up on my iPad screen." Netflix, Netflix's closed captioning awesomely mistook James' lame lame-ass singing voice for a woman's. Thought you'd enjoy it, and then she has a screenshot of a Netflix screen. Uh, with a closed caption that says woman colon musical note just you musical note uh so netflix's closed captioning credits that ridiculous james song uh to unnamed woman basically <laughs> good that's pretty good really good um good email thanks elizabeth um <clears throat> 
And uh, let's oh, see. Oh, man. Well, okay, so someone on the forums pointed out um, when selling his wacky chair contraption, Mr. Pinkle says, you got to be tough with these things. Sometimes you got to hit it hard. You got to know a machine is like a woman. We always say at the machine shop. And then he, uh, which we talked about, it, and he said, uh, or I'm not sure if, if it's a, a he or she on the forum, but they said, that line is really dark when you realize he's saying that the Shelly of all people in the Johnson house where Leo repeatedly beat and hit her. That's yeah. true and crazy. Yeah. I didn't think about that. No, that's hardcore. Um, was that Steal This Corn? Yeah, that's Steal This okay, Corn. That was, that's this guy named Daniel who also sent an email, which is what I was just about to read, but you just did it. Good job. Oh, was it that exact point? Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. No, no, that's okay. That's the same point. Um, he also mentions a couple things, but they're a little spoilery, so I'm not going to mention them here. Uh, cool. You want to, um, do you have anything else or do you want to move on to spoilers? Uh, I think that I, that's everything. Okay. So, uh, thank you for listening to this podcast. Oh, I do have one thing. Sorry. If you oh, go, go to it. the forum thread for this episode, um, which is you get idlethumbs.net to click on forums click on forums and Twin Peaks rewatches there. There's a post by, um, lost in the movies, who is another listener who writes in a lot and is really active on the forums, um, link to a Japanese TV special, um, about Twin Peaks, which is another, good just like of the era video i i love when people unearth these and the forum threads for a lot of episodes actually have mm-hmm, era appropriate yeah. twin peaks stuff but That's there's uh twin peaks clue to the mystery special from japan is oh, cool. is linked on the forums i haven't watched it yet but um japan was they lost their mind over yeah, twin peaks japan, this was huge in japan uh yeah anyway that's mm-hmm. uh cool so thanks for listening again as always we really appreciate uh your enthusiasm and if you are enthusiastic about the show please tell a friend whether they are new to twin peaks and watching it for the first time or are an obsessive fan who's seen all the episodes um if you like the show consider giving us a rating on itunes it really helps a lot i was actually just looking through our itunes ratings yesterday and they're really positive it was really like very heartwarming to see how, yeah, so thank how you. much people appreciate the show uh we're on twitter at peaks rewatch on facebook at facebook.com slash Twin Peaks Rewatch. We're on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash Twin Peaks Rewatch. Our website is twinpeaksrewatch.com. You can email us at twinpeaks at idlethumbs.net. And uh, again, if you have not watched the entire series as well as the uh, film Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, please stop listening now because we are going to spoil things. Uh, thanks for listening we will see the rest of you next week so uh, this email from Andy Yinkst is titled in defense of Jake's dad for spoiler section he writes hi I wanted to chime in in defense of Jake's dad who if I recall in Jake's story said the show is interesting but started getting into aliens I happened to watch the show over the summer before you guys started the show and was more or less completely disappointed by the primary mystery. Yes, the aliens turn out to be a red herring, but not until long after it turns out that the solution to a year-long mystery is that Laura was basically murdered by a ghost. Ghosts are not less stupid than aliens. When Bobby talks at her funeral about the darkness that consumed Laura, the darkness doesn't seem to really be related to a ghost who would possess her dad and murder her. When James talks about how she looked walking through the woods, we knew she walked into the woods and had a really terrible night. Dot, 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 followed by a ghost showing up and murdering her. The fact that Laura was murdered seems to not have been caused by anything in her actual life or even worse, anything in Leland's actual life. Relative to everything in the real world, the murder was a complete non sequitur. Maybe there's a Black Lodge logic in which everything makes sense, but our agents seem to have no ability to investigate that world, and so a solution to the mystery uh, fails. So as a solution to the mystery, that fails. 
either Leland, not Bob, should be the killer and let Cooper and Truman work this out through detective work or give Cooper the ability to actually do detective work in the supernatural realm and let him solve the mystery there through his own agency. Ugh. Um, uh, he, okay. He says, lastly, and this isn't related, I wanted to point out that this entire plot is an example of a trope that keeps showing up in this type of mystery. Leland seems to be yet another child who is a character who is abused as a child and therefore destined to grow up to abuse children. The ghost issue conf confounds it, but I wanted to take a second and point out that this can be a harmful trope, simultaneously telling victims of abuse both that your abuser may have no had no agency, which is not true, and that as a victim you have become tainted, not true, or may feel compelled later in life to do horrible things, not true. This idea shows up in a lot of fiction, and the presence of a literal ghost greatly improves the show, if for no other reason than to divert these harmful messages. Thanks for reading, and thanks for your rad show, Andy. What do you think about that? Um, a lot of things, mostly like <laughs> I, one, that is a great email. Thank you for sending it in Two, I probably need to think about some of the stuff that's in there more, but as far as aliens <clears throat> being just as stupid as a ghost, I agree. If you just have those two things side to side by side. Yeah. But, but I don't think they're equal in terms I of think, how they're integrated. I just think when you're show. constructing a fictional world like this, like the way the Twin Peaks works, the the most simple and sort of generally. Also, it's not really aliens. It doesn't actually really would. No, I guess he was just referring to the way your dad. Yeah. To the sort of the, it, yeah. the postulation that there are aliens yeah, yeah, yeah. just is just as, as yeah. goofy as, well, she's actually killed by a ghost. But I think a world like if you're telling a, a sort of heightened reality story and you take our world as we have it and change a thing, in this case, it's sort of introducing the notion of the Black Lodge and sort of mm -hmm. the, the sort of weird spirit doppelganger thing. Cool. That is your conceit. But if you then also say there are also aliens, it immediately makes your world less consistent, makes your story about just infinite. Like your story is no longer about the world, but this. It's instead just about a like world full anything, of crazy like mysteries. Any, like if, goes, if, yeah. yeah if, it's, you know, sort of like, I think you, you end up with the problem that just all lived too long fantasy worlds have, where it's like, if right. you have, exactly. if you have a world that has time travel, cool. Constantly one-upping themselves. But like, if you have a world that has time travel and then also has an afterlife, then your world means that you have no rules. Like you suddenly you've, you've taken it to the point, well, you know, right. As if those things keep like being successively revealed, right. Where nothing previously was set up to actually support that but now going forward everything must be that's the point that yeah and that's where i think like if this if the story just had there are aliens cool but if but yeah if you start just if you continuously well, you can see this in like a contemporary show right or slightly later i guess the x-files which i think early on the conceit was not one specific thing but it was that this is a world in which there are odd sort of one-off phenomena right. right i think that's kind of like it's a, that's a very broad conceit because it can include almost anything. But I think the X-Files was much stronger when it defined its world through the intrusion of kind of these like low-level specific weird occurrences. And the deeper and deeper and deeper it got into this almost everything goes mythos where there's this like massive, hugely connected – everything is connected to everything else. Like big – Yeah, it's – Like superstructure of lore – I think the more it just kind of got samey and yep. well, you, when you start layering on additional weird hypothetical just fictional conceits, the inevitable thing that seems to happen is that those those additional elements start having agency over each other to the point that then the show doesn't have characters any, have little to none. There's yeah, there's yeah. there's there's no there's no rules or no control. Where like when the X Files starts having 
these super, super secret agencies that basically have the ability to create and destroy entire X-Files subplots within the X-Files, you're just done. Like, that's yeah. it. So the way the, to respond more directly to this reader's email about but, the ghost yeah, part, yeah, sorry. I think I, – I, I don't really agree with, with his feelings about the ghost part of it because I think which, that – Which aspect of it? The, the whole first half of what he said. I don't, I don't really I, – I don't find it bothersome in the way, in the, way the reader does – I'm sorry, the, the listener does because um, to me, I think it's perfectly acceptable to take the, the conceit – I also I think – I never really thought of it as a ghost so much as I did some kind of. Well, I think like, calling it a ghost in this email is also just is sort intended of, to it's cheapen a pejorative it. Right. Use, yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, like, Which, fair enough. If that if that's how it came off to you, then sure. Um, but I think the whole kind of Bob possession thread. I think we're supposed to understand that in the context of his second point, which I mean means he finds it even less uh, appropriate, which is which is fine. That's right, clearly. Um, but I think we're supposed to understand that as saying something about these sort of strains of violence that exist in societies and in families. And in this case, the use of Bob as a kind of literalized character is intended to represent the specter of, of that kind of recurring violence. Right, like, and I, I, I don't – I mean – Like saying it was a ghost is almost like blaming – an act of violence that you do on your religion. Sure. Like, I, I think that you could like Bob and Mike and that whole sort of black lodge, white lodge stuff can effectively. Yeah. Like you said, they can, they can, they can be sort of dissolved down into stand in symbols and not actually actual human beings that possess people. Like they can, yeah. they can be entirely considered representative. Right. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that, that David Lynch and Mark Frost just, also probably think supernatural stuff is cool. And so right. they married those things in a way that, you know, uh, maybe just doesn't work for some people. It works for me basically. Although I, I have to say, I wonder if I'm really curious to know if this, if this listener has seen fire walk with me, because in my opinion, and, and again, like this spoiler section is really only intended for people who have seen both the show and the film. Um, because to me, that movie really, really reframes the entire uh, kind of child abuse and, and molestation thread of Twin Peaks. It like very heavily, I think, um, de-emphasizes the supernatural part of it and completely emphasizes um, the part of it that has to do with Leland and his actions and the sort of metaf the, the thread that runs metaphorically through Twin Peaks but becomes much more literally about child abuse, I think. Well, what do, think, what do you think? What do you think? I mean, we won't know until this this person actually watches Firewalk yeah. with Me or writes back. But what do you think about Firewalk with Me's content as far as what they're saying about the sort of damaging well, portrayal right. of the chain of abuse? Yeah, I mean, I'm not. It's a good question because it doesn't erase anything that happens in Twin Peaks, but it also, as far as I remember, in Firewalk with Me, doesn't really talk about Leland's childhood, right? Like that comes up the one time in Twin Peaks, but not really. I don't think it comes up in Fire Walk with Me. It's entirely about Laura and her relationship with her father, which is, I think, depicted in a truly terrifying way in Fire Walk with Me. I think more terrifyingly than it is in Twin Peaks itself. Yes, I mean, I think it is like absolutely bone chilling in that movie. And I th that that mo the movie has a lot of low points, but 
I I liked it a lot more than I thought I was going to, based on what I'd heard about it. I thought it was really effective yeah, in the, the sort of terror that it created around that whole situation. The high school drama stuff in Fire Walk With Me is really uninteresting and yeah. doesn't and feels mm-hmm. like it falls flat to me. But the sort of FBI investigation stuff I find really fun, and mm-hmm. the Laura and Leland stuff is just, like justifies the existence of oh, that yeah. movie to a- me. Absolutely, I totally agree. I'm, and I'm, I, I can't wait till we get to that yes. stuff. I also think, I mean, we do know statistically. Also, though, to be fair, that subjects of of child abuse are more likely to perpetuate it. The 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 um the listener is completely correct that we should not that we should not sort of absolve or accept the notion like we should we should not relinquish the requirement of personal responsibility and self awareness about about one's own actions. Like that, obviously, you can't simply say people who are abused are going to be abusers. They've been branded. That's how it is. Clearly, no, that is not an acceptable interpretation or response. But I don't think it's, I don't think it's like just inherently objectionable to suggest that it can, that that those threads can persist because I I think we understand that that often does in fact happen. Um, So I don't know how I, how I feel about, I, I don't feel as strongly about this in either way as as the person who wrote in did although i appreciate the points that they made yeah i think it, certainly. like it's tough to indict twin peaks for including this content and for not being aware of it but at the same time one as a person should be incredibly aware of it yes. i think is the is like you know. a- a- absolutely uh yes i agree um definitely interesting stuff to think about yeah um it's it's i feel like this is the kind of topic that at least i often have difficulty being very conclusively and definitively opinionated about. Um, I think it's really interesting to consider and sort of use it as an excuse to try and make yourself more aware of these things and self-aware about your own reactions to things and to evaluate the media that you watch in a more, in a sort of more critical and holistic way um, as opposed to kind of just like dismissing it out of hand but that's just me or having a knee jerk reaction in the opposite direction and saying, and just defending it at all costs and like, yeah, well, it's just, it's just a show. Who cares? Yeah. Yeah. Like they wouldn't have known. Uh." Like there's a, there's yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to just sort of be mindlessly defensive. Yes. Yeah. In either direction. Yes. The only thing that I was going to talk about um, in the spoiler section, which is, (laughs) has a slightly different tone to it now coming off after this reader mail. But when we were talking about Twin Peaks 2016 and about um, Mm -hmm. Ray Wise potentially being in the show, I've been trying to figure out in my brain like where Ray Wise would actually fit because he's not alive as a he- yeah. as a, uh, like Leland yeah. Palmer is not alive at the end of Twin Peaks, but also the actor who plays Bob is not alive. Yeah, is he the new Bob? Is, yeah, like he probably should be. Ray Wise would absolutely kill as that, and it would be like after Fire Walk with Me, it would potentially actually be a interesting weird mm-hmm. thing for him to be the character who exists in the Black Lodge and who sort of flashes in people's existence. Who knows what what the heck the the third season of twin peaks is going to be um it's it's also interesting actually the um sorry back to this reader mail and spoilers about how agents of the fbi can't investigate the supernatural stuff that also is what fire walk with me and the very very end of twin peaks starts to get into right as cooper goes into the black lodge and is going to investigate this stuff the fbi thread entirely in um in fire walk with me is, is sort of Teresa Banks stuff but it involves people flashing away and disappearing and cooper mm-hmm. seeing what mm-hmm. could be his like lodge doppelganger on the security camera footage and stuff and i know right. i think that's also was the intended 
storyline of Twin Peaks season three had it existed was Garland Major Briggs's research was mm. connecting to the Black Lodge okay, was going to be that. about going and getting Cooper out of the Black Lodge. Huh, okay. So like I think that 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 obviously can't be what it is twenty five years later. But sure, I think their sort of intent was to just go nuts on is the let's let's really start mm-hmm. like that because they've they've had Major Briggs backburnered as sort of vaguely connected to weird government research in the area right. and I, I is, think is I, the, I remember hearing that from from friends I've never read about no, it. No, that seems plausible. Is the actor who plays Major Briggs still alive? I don't think he is. Okay, because I feel like that guy has been in television looking basically identical. Maybe he ever is ever since because wasn't he also Agent Scully's dad in the X Files? Yes, I think I think that's one of the things I'm thinking of. I just know I've seen that guy Man, on TV I, a lot. If I'm not mistaken. That actor is not alive, um, and the actor who plays Bob is not alive, which is um, – and, the, and the, the actor who plays Pete is not alive, who, which is, is a bummer because he's just one of my mm-hmm. characters I like watching. But as far as like Twin Peaks sort of ever-growing yeah. arc, the actor who plays Bob and the actor who plays Major Briggs are bummers to not have I know. around given all the stuff that – like if you really want to pull on those on – those plot lines more directly they're gonna have to just go into the sort of into a situation where different actors play those characters uh yeah um, or, or the, different actors represent yes. those things the, the the actor who played uh major briggs was named don s davis he died in 2008 and basically looked identical yeah. to how he looked in twin peaks so yeah. i was not wrong he's just been in various roles on television for 30 years straight, basically looking like yep. the same guy, which is, yeah. which is pretty good. I was sad that I heard that that guy died. Yeah. Um, all right. We should wrap this up. We're probably way over time here. Yes. Uh, but again, thanks for listening. Um, tell your friends if you like this. We would uh, appreciate it. Yep. See you guys next week. For episode whatever, 14, a.k.a. 13, mm-hmm. a.k.a. 5 or something. Bye. Bye.